1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday's Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert. And I am coming at you live from downtown Jackson, Mississippi at the Westin for Innovate Mississippi's 23rd Annual Accelerate Conference on Technology and Innovation. Rhino, back in the Supertalk studios, we have relocated the Element Elementwell Studios to downtown Jackson on this beautiful hump day. Yes, we are. We are at the hump day. Pretty cool conference going on down here, Uh, Rhino, first time that we have brought the show to the Innovate Mississippi Accelerate Conference on Technology and Innovation. Really cool walking around seeing all the exhibitors, Mississippi entrepreneurs and and, uh, technology companies on hand, investors, business consultants, etc. They're all here. It's a big day. We uh, have a big luncheon coming up, many uh, at 12 o'clock today. i are going to slip out and uh, join that for about five minutes while the news is playing. Looking forward to that. Uh, and it's a beautiful day as well, but my understanding is it's going to get a little chilly. Is that correct, Rhino, coming up this uh, Saturday for the football game? I saw up in Oxford a high of 48, something to that effect. It's like 85 today. I think so. It's teasing us a bit. Uh, did you sleep last night, Rhino, or did you do like I did and stay up watching the election returns? Oh, I slept like a baby. <laughs> well, uh, I must say I did not. Uh, was somewhat shocked and uh, disappointed. I attended the. Uh, at GOP headquarters last night. They had a watch party, and that was a lot of fun. Michael Guest came down about 9.30 or so when the race was called. He and his lovely wife, Haley, uh, came down and and spoke to the crowd. We enjoyed that. Also, Brian Flowers, who opposed Benny Thompson on the ticket there in uh, Congressional District 2. He actually fared pretty well I was uh, I was surprised I really felt like Benny historically would run away with that race but that uh, that gave me some cause for hope that uh, there is a possibility we could wrangle that seat away from uh, Congressman Thompson and the Democrats but otherwise it was uh, a bit of a pink splash as opposed to a red wave let's just be honest about it it did not pan out the way many of the pundits expected you know i, I will admit that i early on uh, in the cycle predicted that the senate would likely stay 50 50. just just analyzing the races and uh, oh just just uh, observing opining, and then I got more confident, and I felt like that, you know, things are looking better in some of these key races, and I think there's a chance we could end up 51-49, and still is, by the way, I'll go through that in a second, the four races still outstanding. I felt a great deal of confidence, but... I saw some that were, I think, a bit over their skis with exuberance. Newt Gingrich, for example, just last week going to be 55 is what he predicted. Well, obviously, that didn't happen in favor of the Republicans. And you had others as well that were very optimistic, very enthusiastic, and that's fine. I get that. They they, they should be. They're cheerleaders for their, their party. But I I really think they were being... Uh, unrealistic, and not facing up to reality. The nation is deeply polarized. There's no question about that. It's pretty much split down the middle. I know many out there would disagree with me, but I still do believe it's split down the middle, and I think we have a tendency to stay in our echo chamber. And that's not that that's a bad thing, as long as we are at least aware and cognizant and taking stock of the rest of the nation and how they feel and their attitudes. It's, it seems like we've gotten to the point where it's blue no matter who and red until you're dead. And that's, that's fine, except we're not really taking a hard look at the individual candidates, their qualifications, their policy positions, their ideology. And as much as we are facing significant issues, especially economic headwinds and economic issues. Uh, There's not a person out there that's not unhappy about the price of gas, inflation. There's one thing, Rhino, that's kind of hanging out there that I do think it was, a, was a factor in the red wave uh, not being produced, not being generated, and that is unemployment. People are working normally when you see these kinds of, of uh, midterm flips to a significant amount or or even a presidential election, you think back to two thousand and eight when Barack Obama uh, handily won honestly and and also took both chambers. there was m- pretty sizable unemployment it 's almost like and that was because we were coming off the so-called financial crisis. It's almost as if, well, I don't like this inflation. I don't like this price of gas, but I am working. It's like they give a pass uh, for that. And it's, um, I, I think it is, has been a, a factor, a fascinating factor. I'm shocked that Kathy Hochul prevailed in New York. I just would have thought that the, the message uh, of crime... In her seemingly indifference to the problem of crime, and in unwillingness to accept that, <laughs> and and you see New Yorkers who were interviewed, etc., all complaining about the crime problem. I just didn't see that coming. I really felt like Lee Zeldin had a chance, and that didn't work out. That was probably one of the biggest letdowns. On the ceasefire text text line, the Pennsylvania people let us down. So consider this, folks. The most expensive Senate election in the history of this great country occurred in Pennsylvania. Two hundred million bucks when all said and done was invested by the candidates in that race. And what did we get? Arguably the worst candidate for the United States Senate ever. That's who won. That is who won. It's kind of hard to fathom uh, that that could even happen. I think from the beginning, I stated that I thought Dr. Oz was not a high quality candidate. I think that uh, that was a factor. I think Herschel Walker in Georgia, that race still too close to call, not called yet, likely going to a runoff on December 6th, you'll probably see a hundred million dollars dumped into that runoff, that particular race. Uh, But I think that hurt. (laughs) The Trump factor is an issue. And I think that probably more so than Joe Biden in these key Senate races, Donald Trump was on the ballot. Typically, midterms are referendums on the seated president. Well, heck, if that's the case, what are you happy with? What? What? Border, crime, foreign policy, inflation, interest rates, price of gas, adoption of climate change and woke ideologies and and including those throughout the halls of government. What could you be happy about? I, I'm shocked, honestly, in that respect. Ben from Madison on the ceasefire text line, really tough night for Republicans and Trump specifically, but as bad of a night it was for the GOP, it was a great night for DeSantis, the next president of the United States. In my opinion, it's time for Republicans to fully embrace DeSantis because Trump will only hold us back. I tend to agree with you there, Madison. I still believe, uh, excuse me, Ben, I still believe that uh, Donald Trump's going to announce for president next Tuesday, and I Believe that that shortly thereafter the attacks on Governor DeSantis will begin in earnest. He kind of teased it a bit with his disingenuous, pejorative this uh, this past weekend, but I, I think you're going to see that. I did enjoy Governor DeSantis' speech. There's that was a, a bright spot, honestly, where the House seats flipped in uh, Florida. Uh, DeSantis uh, commanding victory, same with Marco Rubio, both had stiff competition. South Florida, the Miami-Dade area, looks like it's going red. I've I've talked about it before. The mayor down there is fantastic. And so those were the bright spots, uh, but I think it comes down to the person, the candidate, and I think he's a very likable person and candidate. We're coming right back. We've got, uh, we've got Tony Jeff, the CEO of Innovate Mississippi, coming up next. Stay with us.
2: Check it out. Let's do this. The talk
0: that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
2: Let's get on with it
0: on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: <laughs> the Welcome back everyone to midday Super Talk, Mississippi. The Element Well Studios have been temporarily relocated as we are on the road in downtown Jackson, Mississippi, at the beautiful Weston for Innovate Mississippi's 23rd annual accelerate conference on technology and innovation. And joining us now the president and CEO of Innovate Mississippi, Tony Jeff. Tony, looks like we're off to a good start. Big crowd, great venue. A lot of excitement
3: we are it's an exciting time for us it really is i think um, just to see everyone from all over the state and hopefully not just catching up, but doing some transactions together as we bring everyone together from this ecosystem. It's a fantastic
1: networking event, is it not? And that is critical uh, to businesses and uh, those that are seeking to form partnerships with businesses as, as well. They're here, and Innovate Mississippi really serves as as a hub, if you will, as a clearinghouse to connect those businesses, those startups, those entrepreneurs, and even existing organizations uh, that are, are perhaps looking to scale their businesses, they get connected here.
3: Well, that's exactly right. I mean. Innovate Mississippi, we don't have, like, state incentives or anything like that. We are a connect-the-dot organization. So we have to find these startups, bring them the resources they need to grow to hopefully become investor-ready, and then we connect them to investors. So it really is about connecting the dots, which is why events like this were so important.
1: And in addition, Tony, to uh, connecting them to funding sources, uh, also the organization provides a lot of other services and assistance as well. You have a methodology that you help uh, walk them through the process of uh, getting their products and services uh, ready for commercialization, business planning, marketing, development, strategy, Absolutely. so
3: we, we would hope that no one would fail, but our philosophy would, would be if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail cheap. <laughs> and so we make them really run through a process of validating their technology, validating their markets, validating their financials, putting together the right plan and the right team. Yeah. And having all those elements in place in, in rotation so that the entrepreneur or the inventor who, who's working on their product doesn't spend all their time on what they love, their yeah. product. Yeah. Uh, or in a similar way, you can spend a whole bunch of time planning and then have a product doesn't work absolutely so that cycle is really important we make them work through that cycle at every stage from the earliest stage up until even after they raise money they're continuing to develop in each of those five areas you know
1: Mississippi uh, across the nation you you don't think of them when you think about technology and innovation that's fine but the fact is we have a lot of great entrepreneurs we have a lot of great technology and innovation that has originated right here in the state of Mississippi and in in many cases with the assistance of Innovate Mississippi.
3: Yes and it's been it's been fun to be around long enough to see some of these companies grow up because I got to tell you you know early stage companies there's a high failure rate yeah. but then we you know one of the first companies I'd worked with and I came back to Mississippi was Joel Baumgar and, yeah. and Baumgar Technologies and, and what they did and we've seen company after company of these and it's not everyone that succeeds by any means That's right but uh, they've grown large and and then yeah uh, we've uh, we've been able to see those companies grow and and really right now we have through the privatization of space and what we have at Stennis Space Center, what we have through the uh, blue economy and the and the port on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, yep. a couple of what I call unfair advantages in Mississippi, which are things that really other states can't even emulate very well. No yeah. one else is in this. No, no one else, else has the river, shallow and deep water access with a university and a port that really want to work with the industry. So those are two areas we're seeing a lot of growth in. Yeah,
1: and we need these businesses because uh, I think there's has been a bit of a heightened focus on uh, the called brain drain in our state and uh, our state leaders in particular Auditor Shad White he's called this to uh, to attention he's he's actually put some numbers to it and he's talked about not only the, the quantifiable aspects of it but the quality aspects of that phenomenon and we have great universities that are turning out fantastic graduates we need these businesses to get going so they can hire them and they're doing it I've talked to some of them here today
3: yes and I, I think there, there really are two elements one is we need more of those jobs but honestly we need a better system of just letting everyone know about the opportunities that are there today. I think there are about 300 jobs at any one time on our website from these high-growth companies, really interesting jobs, and yet I guarantee you if you went and asked graduating seniors at our colleges they wouldn't think there were those opportunities in Mississippi. So we need to both grow the number of those jobs and I think do a better job of just communicating those opportunities to those students as well.
1: So Tony, uh, entrepreneurs that are tuned in today that that are listening and at this point they may be just just in the conceptual idea stage, right? And that's where it starts. Right. It's just it's just an idea that hatches. How do they engage Innovate Mississippi?
3: Well, and by the way, we'd love to engage at the idea stage. For some reason, people think they have to have it perfect before they come and see us, and that's the opposite of what we'd like. We'd really like for them to come in at the early stage. And really through our website, innovate.ms. And the other thing is we would work closely with the small business development centers. We really grow and work on high growth companies. Those companies that are not bankable and have to work through private investors. But the SPDCs are much more familiar with banks and what they could do for the more asset-based companies. And so we we work closely. We don't work in the same companies generally that we're handing off. So we will help you get to the right resource, even yeah. if we're not necessarily that resource. And there are a number of interested financial partners in the, in the state of Mississippi
1: that are searching for quality companies, good ideas, good
3: startups, where they can park their money and, and help them. And get a return on their investment? There really are. And I think it's uh, part of what we've been trying to do and grow in the ecosystem is to make sure investors understand the choices they have and to have some success stories. And we have here today, you know, FNC founder uh, Bill Ayburn is here with us and speaking at lunch. And FNC was a tremendous success story for a lot of Mississippi investors. No doubt. uh, That's all really. Oxford. Next Gear Solutions uh, out of Oxford had a recent uh, large exit as well. We need a few of those success stories so people understand they can make money in this space. But they also just need to understand it's a collaborative process. So We form these angel funds so that they can share expertise. They're not expected to be an expert on every deal. They can ask the person next to them who knows that industry better, hey, what do you think of this? And that's part of our process of forming these angel funds. And we're now in the process of forming a fund that's going to go all the way from Natchez up the river region to Oxford uh, and we may have to break it in two funds depending on how large that gets but we've done similar funds in North and South Mississippi so we're covering the state with these angel funds as well
1: right and and the, the process generally is with these startups these entrepreneurs uh, they they pitch their idea uh, and that's literally the word we use is pitch they they pitch a, a kind of a, another word for sell, if you will they they pitch that idea to these uh, these groups, these angel fund groups, prospective investors, and uh, and then they make a call on whether or not to make an investment and to um, flow some money in there.
3: Yes, and we oversimplify by telling people we're like the Mississippi Shark Tank, but literally that part is. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Like, yeah. A lot like very Mississippi Shark Tank. Yeah. Right? Uh and and but what they're doing is they're pitching, and then sometimes the person says, "You're not quite ready yet, but here, let me introduce you to someone who can help you with this aspect." So there's a lot of other uh, you know connecting of dots even at that stage. Yeah.
1: And and also, these funds, these groups, these investors, they're a bit unlike the the institutional private equity investors in that they're not looking to stroke a really big check. And to stroke the big check, you've got to have an asset that's worth a lot of money. And a lot of times when they're in this idea concept phase, they're not there yet. They just need some financial assistance. They need some capital to get going. And then these investors are willing to be patient, and then they'll keep making those investments as they see, Uh, progress and success.
3: Yeah, so these pre-seed or angel stage investors we're working with, like over the last five years we've seen about uh, 50 investments and they're averaging 300, well, the average is about 380,000 but the the median is probably uh, more like Two fifty. I mean, we're seeing a lot of early-stage capital in these, and that's really our niche is the first outside capital. Uh, Once a company is raising true venture capital, they can get that anywhere in the country, and they don't care where they are in terms of that investment. But at the earliest stage, they want to be close. They want to kick the tires. They probably want a board seat. So that's why it's so important to have those investors here within the state. It's a primer,
1: uh, honestly. It's a primer to get them going, uh, kind kind of a degree of mezzanine support to get them to that next level, to get them institutionalized. Well, they can go draw the big check and Hopefully, build a big company right here in Mississippi. That's yes, what
3: we want. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. All right. What about your staff? Tell us about
3: that a well, little bit. So uh, we we've just have uh, th- we have the best jobs in the world in terms of working with crazy entrepreneurs at the <laughs> earliest stages. So that's part of it. I think our you know we generally have a staff that focuses on entrepreneurial development and capital because the investor network has to be there with you know before the deals because you've got to really develop all that ahead of time. And then we try to do these events. We do a monthly connect and these type of things to bring folks, folks together. Unfortunately, we're losing our entrepreneurial development director. So, if there's anybody who really loves startups and wants to work with them, uh, you know, like everybody, we're trying there to find people like that. Yeah. And then uh, touch on the Coding Academies just a second. Yes, so we started several years, 2017, the Mississippi Coding Academies, through the leadership of some of our board members. We've now spun that out into a separate 501c3, but they are teaching direct uh, workforce skills in coding in Jackson, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and in uh, Columbus area. Mm-hmm. So the Mississippi Coding Academy is just an awesome program. Those folks, Yeah, and the, the, the
1: graduates, they're, they're work ready Absolutely. when they get out. Yes. I mean, they're ready to hit the streets running with their employers, producing for their employers. The employers know that, and that's why they're getting but Right. Employers
3: come in and design the curriculum and then evaluate them the whole time. So they it's really awesome. are ready. It's awesome. Yeah. Tony, it's going to be
1: a great day. Appreciate you coming on. Look forward to visiting later on today. And and we've got some other great guests coming on that have all touched this Innovate Mississippi organization. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Middays is coming right back. Stay with us.
0: With Gerard Gibbard. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Okay, now you have a good one.
1: everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the western downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's annual Accelerate Conference, focusing on Technology and Innovation, appreciate President and CEO Tony Jeff coming on the program at 10.50, Jim Lowry, Managing Director of Strategy at M-Trade, also a member of the Mississippi Seed Fund Investment Board. And then at 11.05, we've got Henry Barber coming on the set here at the Westin, and he and I are going to further discuss all the election results from yesterday. We'll get into the details there. Anna Barker, Vice President of Business Development for Glow, a startup based in Starkville, joins us at 11.50. And then at 12.50, we'll wrap things up with Joseph Madden, CEO of Furson Technologies, an optics company based in Ocean Springs. So they're actually doing a pitch during the company and investor spotlight. Uh, That is happening, uh, actually happened on Tuesday. It's a pretty cool event. So... Just looking at the races that are outstanding, uh, Rhino, I see four Senate races still in play, 61 House seats. So where it stands right now, there are four Senate seats in play. Democrats have captured 48, Republicans 48. The four in play consist of Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Nevada. And it's it's interesting to see how those pan out especially considering that we may go down again not knowing who has control until Georgia is decided. That's exactly what happened in 2020. So we got Georgia in play and we're likely not to have the results from that race until December. December the 6th because, again as we have discussed on the program, winning the Senate race in Georgia or winning any statewide races requires capturing 50% of the vote. So if that doesn't occur, we're going to a runoff. And as it stands right now, that appears to be extremely likely 98% reporting in Georgia it's a dead heat, Warnock at 49.4, Walker at 48.5 is what I see here, Rhino. Do you see anything any different there? I mean, it's it's within less than a point. Yeah, it's about 35,000 votes deciding it right now. Incredible, 35,000 votes. The Libertarian candidate peeled off, what, a couple of million um, Is that right? No, it's not a couple of million. That wouldn't make it. It's a couple of percent, I should say. Yeah, it's about 2%. It's just under 81,000 so far. Okay. So 81,000 seems like a lot to me, but anyhow, that is likely to trigger a runoff, which will be held on December the 6th, and I guess we'll all be waiting once again for the outcome. So right now it looks like Nevada if it continues on the trend, it's on is likely going to the Republican candidate, and that would simply offset the loss of a Republican seat in Pennsylvania. That one already last night in fact called for Fetterman, just bizarre when you think about it. Uh, and in Wisconsin is uh, you've got incumbent Ron Johnson still ahead, still has a slight lead, 95 percent in there, so that looks like that's likely to finish with Wisconsin going to the Republican, Ron Johnson. Again, that, that just stays even. That doesn't, that doesn't flip a seat. So you've got Pennsylvania being flipped. You've got Nevada being flipped. Arizona toss-up. Uh, it looks like that's probably gonna stay Democrat with Mark Kelly. And then Wisconsin stays Republican with Ron Johnson. So two stay the same. Two offset each other. (laughs) That means it comes down once again to Georgia. How crazy is that? Who would have thought? So, wow. uh, (laughs) It's just unbelievable. I'm flabbergasted that that's the situation we're looking at again. Over on the house side, 61 seats still in play, 174 have been called for Democrats, 200 for Republicans. Most are predicting that we end up with 220, 220 or thereabouts for the Republicans in the House. That would mean 215 for the Democrats. So you're you're almost trading the margin from Democrat to Republican. The current margin is about five seats. You trade that in favor of the Republicans the tune of about five seats. And there we go. So, it's hard to imagine there's a path at this point for the Republicans to have control of the Senate. Is that kind of the way you read it at this point, Rhino, given the four seats that are outstanding? Kind of what my math is saying there. Yeah, that's what it's starting to look like. So, I, I guess... Uh, because Nevada simply offsets Pennsylvania. Down one in Pennsylvania, up one in Nevada. If uh, Arizona stays the same, and, and Georgia, I guess if you won Georgia, uh, if uh, Herschel Walker were to prevail in Georgia, that put us at plus one. Right? 51-49. So, but we're not going to know that until December. If Warnock were to prevail in the runoff, then it's back to Kamala Harris, the vice president, having the deciding vote right back where we were. So what can we expect if Republicans, as it appears, maintain their current position with, uh, current position as uh, of election day with control of the House, flipping the House by five or six seats, certainly not a red wave by any stretch of the imagination. I think best we can hope for is they just stop the bleeding from the Biden administration. It'd be hard to get legislation passed in the Senate that could even get on his desk for vetoing unless we got the majority over there, and that's looking less likely at this point. So is it time for the Republicans to move on from Donald Trump? Maybe, just maybe, it's time to move from Trump and the Trump agenda on the ceasefire text line. I don't know. I'm just thinking. And the worst candidate is Herschel Walker. Hashtag red wave. How does it help if the House is flipped? It helps. Uh, this is on the ceasefire text line. It, it helps in that it makes it impossible, assuming that Republicans all vote similarly as a solid caucus. It, it helps in that legislation can't get through the House that might come over from the Senate or legislation that the Democrats may want to pass in the House to send to the Senate can't get out of the House. So it's, it's just the old gridlock is what happens. How does gridlock help the issues that are top of mind to voters such as price of gas and, and uh, inflation and crime and the border, etc.? really doesn 't except it just means that Biden and the Democrats can 't keep pouring gasoline on the fire, but it doesn 't put the fire out and that 's my concern and looking at some of the uh, financial analysts take on this and economists, you know it 's likely that we 're going to see the Fed continue to push up interest rates to try to to try to arrest this stubborn inflation. Right now, the Fed Funds rate sitting at around 4%. I think we got another 2% in us through next year, up to 6, 6.5%. That's going to push mortgage rates in the, into the 9% category. It, it, there's just no evidence that inflation is coming down. In fact, quite the opposite. More and more companies are announcing price increases across the board, across the, a, a range of industries. They're, they're finally starting to say, you know, we can't keep absorbing these input costs. We're going to have to pass on some of these costs to consumers. Therefore, we're raising our prices. So when you consider that petroleum, oil and gas, are integral to the production of so many products, included as a raw material in many of these many of these products, and of course used to transport these goods to market, There doesn't seem to be any evidence of change in policy there. Very little control over that. Most of that done through executive orders. We're not exploring. We're not drilling. We're not leasing. We're not permitting. All we're doing is trying to put a patch on it by pulling oil from our strategic petroleum reserve. That clearly isn't really doing a whole lot. Thomas and Greenwood says Walker won't win pretty sad honestly I, I, I tend to agree with you Thomas I, I don't feel good about that and then the question comes up well how does how does Brian Kemp win so convincingly as the governor I just think he's a he's a more suitable attractive candidate and I don't think that Herschel Walker is and I think he also had a more flawed opponent in Stacey Abrams We'll step aside for a break right here. The Element Well Studios down at the Weston for Innovate, Innovate Mississippi's annual Accelerate Conference. Coming back with Jim Lowry, Managing Director of Strategy at M-Trade. Stay with us.
0: Properly set. All controls before recording. Systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: back everyone to Big Day Super Talk Mississippi down at the Weston, downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's 23rd annual Accelerate Conference on Technology and Innovation. Lots happening around here. Joining us now, Jim Lowry, Managing Director of Strategy at M Trade and also uh, associated with the Mississippi Seed Investment Fund. Jim, thanks for coming on. Big day. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So it, it's really always great to see all these uh, energetic entrepreneurs and, and uh, business folks. They're they're showing their wares. They're so excited about what they've produced and created. And innovate Mississippi is in the thick of that, and it's uh, it's good to be a part of that, and and good to see the knowledge economy of our state. It really gets its growth uh, from this organization, and and certainly from the investment. Community, uh, you need capital. You got ideas, but you got to have some money to make all that work to sort of turn those ideas into some commercial value and monetize those ideas. And that's when entrepreneurs and innovators work with the investment community. Uh,
2: tell us about the seed fund and and how critical that is to that effort. The seed fund is is actually uh, it's it's Mississippi money. It's yeah. it's uh, taxpayer money. Uh, it's it's been around since uh, the late uh, probably two thousand eight two thousand nine, and uh, it was funded with four million dollars, and uh, it's it is operated uh, by Innovate Mississippi. Uh, really, there's three buckets. There's uh there is a ten thousand dollar. Proof of concept award uh, that that's got is as, as long as you in effect uh, uh, fill out the paperwork, you've got a good idea, uh, uh, innovate, put you in front of the seed committee. It's it's pretty low uh, threshold to get approved. There's a hundred thousand dollar what I call business expansion uh, where the, the the framework is is much more rigorous. The uh, diligence for approval is much more uh, rigorous. You actually are eligible to receive that uh, twice uh, within and uh uh after 12 months. And then there's also a partnership or a, an R&D award. Same uh, same monetary value, $100,000. The entrepreneur has to have an active research project with one of the research uh, universities here in the state. Hmm. So there's, there's three separate buckets. It really fills that critical first money in uh, for so many entrepreneurs who've got a great idea but do not have access to either institutional capital or potentially friends and family who can who can see that idea yeah exactly
1: and, and so the
2: the thing that needs to be understood is
1: that they have this idea and maybe they hatch this idea idea as an entrepreneur while they're employed elsewhere taking care of themselves and their family and when they when they break away and and plunge and take that risk uh, they got to have some way uh, to keep uh, the subsistence going, if you will, while they're getting that idea to the point where they can take it to market and start producing some revenue for it, and that's where seed funds and angel investors come in.
2: That, that, that's exactly right. One of the one of the other critical pieces about the seed fund is it requires a one-to-one match. So this is not it's not a grant by any means. It's uh, the entrepreneur has to have a great idea. They have to, and they also have to have access to a little bit of capital to match. Okay. Uh, that there's there's some in-kind details, okay. and the, the Innovate staff Let's can work through that. After yeah. a lot of skin of the yeah, sure. which is which is a big
1: piece well if you're going to be an entrepreneur you got to accept that that's, that's part correct. of it that's correct that's so correct. in our society in our in our free market society we're perfectly fine if you reap the rewards from that but you got to take the risk that's to exactly do it correct. and that, that's that's how the system works I right, so talk about uh, Innovate, innovate in Mississippi a little bit if you if you would uh, Jim and its importance to fostering the technology industry in the state of Mississippi
2: well one of the critical pieces and, and innovate has has is, uh I think really found its stride now it is it really serves as a hub for to match entrepreneurs with capital providers with third-party service providers again you look up and down there's uh, telephony right across from us there's legal assistance there's accounting assistance yeah as you know it takes uh, a lot of third-party resources to get these companies up as well and and innovate really serves as that hub to connect investors well to co- connect entrepreneurs with not only money but service uh, and also mentors that's Absolutely. another that's another really critical piece uh, many times an entrepreneur has got a great idea but they do not have the experience or in many cases they don't know why their idea shouldn't work That's and, right. and a good a good mentor can certainly help with that yeah so
1: uh, M trade Jim an incredibly uh, important and
2: uh, just phenomenal
1: Mississippi success story. Talk about that for a second so mtrade 's been around
2: since two thousand sixteen uh, we 've got roughly one hundred and twenty five employees we 're based in Oxford. Uh, we make workflow management software for large financial institutions who buy mortgages. Yeah. And that's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of people are very familiar with what they call the origination right. side of getting a mortgage. But what a lot of people don't realize is that mortgage is going to be sold in, right. in many cases. Right. Uh, uh, it, uh, it typically is sold, big portion of the market that gets sold to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, Th- people might have heard of that. Yep. Well there's about, about 25% of uh, the market, uh, they're ac- these mortgages are actually sold to Investors And our software platform connects these investors, which are large It's, it's very incredible. It's with very it. sophisticated. Congratulations, Jim. Thanks for coming on. And uh, let's get some
1: seed money going to get these entrepreneurs going. Let's keep it rolling. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back after the news, we've got Henry Barber, GOP strategist. We're going to talk about all the election results. Stay with us.
0: And uh, now. And now.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays, live at the Westin in downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Technology and Innovation Conference. Having a good day down here. Joining us now in the Element Well studios, our good friend Henry Barber, GOP strategist. Henry. Big night, last night, not sure it was a red wave, I don't think I would describe it as that. What do you feel like, right, let's start with the House, what, what do you feel like uh, is going to be the outcome there, and then we'll sort of dig into how we got here, what do you think at this point?
4: Well, I, I expect, and I think the people who are paying really close attention to it, who are more, certainly more expert than I am with all the details, you know, believe that we're going to take the House, yeah. we being the Republicans. sure. And, uh, but not by anywhere near the sort of margin that we were thinking. Uh, and so it, it's a disappointment, but it's but huge for running our country. Yeah. And, and, you know, so fundamentally, I think for Americans, it's a great thing that we at least know, we think we know, that um, we're, the Republicans will have the House. That can slow down Biden, hopefully. We'll we'll talk about the Senate, but hopefully, you know, we got a path there. Um, But it's a lot tighter, Um, right? But that's but that's that's significant when it comes to public policy. But.
1: It puts the brakes on at a minimum, is kind of what I see Because he's got bigger plans on the
4: agenda, and that puts that on ice for a couple of years. Well, all of a sudden, you don't have Nancy Pelosi running the schedule in the House. And uh, and so now, we'll have a Republican speaker, who I think will be Kevin McCarthy. I do, too. And he'll set the agenda, and it'll be an agenda that is more about freedom and safety and economic growth and limited government, the things that I, I think are good for our country and uh, slow it down, uh, as you say, put the brakes on. They could certainly pass some legislation uh, that Republicans
1: want to see, Republican voters want to see, send it over to the Senate, get all the Democrats in the House on the record. If they don't support, let's say, a bill as McCarthy has suggested to defund this 87,000 IRS agents. Okay, that's on the record. We send it to the Senate. We get it on the record. It's likely not to pass and get to Joe Biden's desk unless we have control of the Senate, which is still hanging in the balance. But uh, uh, there, there's some value to that, is there not, Henry? In two years, will there, we get
4: when we run again, there's definitely political value. And, and, and 24, if we don't win the Senate, the 24 really sets up very well for Republicans. We will. Really have to have a bad night, yeah. Uh, not to agree. win the Senate 24, and I'm and I'm hopeful that we are going to win uh, the Senate this time. Um, you know, we, we've got. Uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada mm-hmm. are the are the big chips right. on the table. Alaska's still out, but we're going to have a We're going to have a one way or another. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they have that funny ranked choice, rank choice voting. voting yeah. yeah, they'll decide that. Um, Wisconsin, Ron Johnson likely holds on. Um, the Democrat, Mark Kelly in Arizona, likely holds on. That's what on. it looks like. Nevada is tight. I think Adam Laxalt. Right now, it looks like he's going to be able to win that. And and that means unless um, Raphael Warnock were to somehow close things out in Georgia, which doesn't seem likely at this point, we'll have a runoff on December the 6th, just like what we had two years ago. And Georgia will again decide. Are we going to have conservative or liberal leadership in the United States Senate? And it's huge because, and, and it's huge. You think about Senator Wicker. You know, Senator Wicker will be in line to be a chairman, not a ranking member. So really good. That'd be great, both for just good public policy, but also good for Mississippi, um, and and have uh, impact on Cynthia Smith too. Um, with her in the majority, uh, so it matters to Mississippi. Uh, it matters to the country, um, but I, Gerard, you know, I'm just going to talk about sort of my general, sure, my please. general takeaway from last night. In a nutshell, is you know, candidates who delivered results and who had a vision for the future. Did much, much better than our candidates who were stuck in the past, okay And I think examples, Ron DeSantis, Governor Kemp, Governor DeWine, Governor Sununu, um, uh, Governor Abbott in Texas.. Yeah. Um, you know when, when right, let's talk about DeSantis. DeSantis had a huge night. And he won by 20 points, he won Miami-Dade County, and you don't win Miami-Dade County unless you're increasing Hispanic vote, which obviously he did. Um, And Governor DeSantis, um, you know, when COVID hit, like any state, you you weren't really sure just how bad this is, and, and so they had to, you know, you had to put some clamps down. But as soon as he realized, okay, we can go, and which was about three months later, he opened up his state for business. Same thing Tate Reeves did. And Georgia, Brian Kemp too. Brian Kemp too. He That's right. Had a good night. But 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 um, you know. But I think what DeSantis did, what what Kemp did, what Tate Reeves did. Um, All that matters to people, right? I mean, and this was a real contrast, particularly when you think about a big state like Florida, because we very easily could have had a liberal Democrat run in Florida. It was a very close race in 2018 that DeSantis won. But in Florida could have been like California. It could have been like New York. I mean, Governor, who would have been Governor Gillum, you know, would have been the liberal uh, in Florida, he would have had Governor Cuomo. Is his mentor, and so instead of all these people who've gone to Florida and all the growth that has happened there, and other Republican states, you know, Kay Ivey was reelected in Alabama. Yep. Uh, Governor McMaster in South Carolina. Uh, so policy matters, candidates matter, and I think last night was just just emphasize that, um, and we need to as a party, it's really important. Let's focus on getting results for the people, and let's make sure we have candidates who can win. And I do think the candidates who got too focused thinking back to what happened in 2020, it was divisive, and I don't think it, it had him thinking about the past as opposed to the future. That's an excellent point, uh, Henry. And how do we explain Brian Kemp winning in convincing fashion and Herschel Walker struggling? Well, I, 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 well, number one, Brian Kemp... Um, has an excellent record. He does. And and I think that gets back to policy matters and the results matter. And, you know, Governor Kemp, um, you know, he didn't get in food fights with other politicians, which was smart, even when some of them didn't like him all that mm-hmm. much. Um, and that was smart. And he and I think, you know, the Bible teaches us, you know, just because somebody says something to you doesn't mean, you know, you need to go pick up a stick and hit them. Yeah. Um, and... I don't think that's a quote. um, The the concepts all throughout the Bible, though, no doubt. And and so I think his his results um, really helped him. Now, Herschel Walker obviously is a legend in Georgia. You know, anybody meets him, he you immediately are drawn to him. He just has the charisma. But he clearly wasn't a polished politician. He clearly has some alleged happenings that are disconcerting to people and so you know he had a drop off of about three or four points from yeah. from, and you know there were people who just went and voted you know in that governor's race and they skipped the senate race um... but hmm. I, I i really believe gerard that herschel walker is going to be the next united states senator hmm. from georgia okay. Okay. i think that we're going to have this runoff over there it's going to be a huge deal that I think that runoff, the message will be, who do you want in control of the United States Senate? Do you want liberal Schumer from New York, or do you want conservative leadership? And so I, I, I think, the, keep the message really simple. Um, you know, people are tired of the rising costs, the rising spending, inflation, crime, you know, uh, public schools that you know have all sorts of issues that that aren't healthy for kids and, that, and the people that want to close down schools because of COVID. You know, all that stuff came back to haunt the Democrats, but not as much as it should have. We, we didn't deliver as a party on what we should have in last night's elections. We left a lot at the table. And the Demo- And I will say, I think we probably underestimated the Democrats. We probably underestimated the issue of abortion as Indeed. far as turnout in places like uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, where they had serious... Democrats had serious ground game advantages over our effort in Wisconsin. Yeah. Pennsylvania, too, I think, to some extent. That, that was no a factor. Question. Yeah. No question. No, New York.
1: I agree. Um, we got a break right here. We'll come back yes, and uh, keep breaking this down. Appreciate it, Henry. Thanks yes, for being here. Yes, We're down at the Weston in Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Conference. Stay with us. <laughs>
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking.
2: We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We're at the Weston and downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Conference, the 23rd annual. We've got Henry Barber, our guest, GOP strategist, here in the Element Well studios in the Weston. So, Henry, we, we talked a lot in uh, the prior segment about uh, the House and Senate races. Interesting uh, gubernatorial races
4: as well. A lot of those went good for the Republicans there. They did. We, we had some encouragement, uh, encouraging uh, results. Uh, we've talked about DeSantis in Florida. We've talked about Kemp, uh, Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, yeah. DeWine in Ohio, Abbott in Texas. Um, one person I want to uh, make a special mention of is Sarah Sanders in Arkansas. In Arkansas, I mean, you didn't hear anything about her Agreed. because it was a blowout. Yeah, and and she never did stupid stuff. Um, you know, she is talking about getting results and, and, and doing all this while she found out she had cancer and had treatment for cancer and, and she's getting good reports about yep. that. Yep. Um, but Sarah Sanders is a rising star, not just in the Republican Party, but in the country. Um, I really believe she has a great opportunity to do great things in Arkansas. And, uh, and I think a lot of eyes will be on her um, to see just how she does and, and, and how she leads. And um, So I'm, I'm excited about her. You made a great point earlier in the last segment, Henry, about candidates that focused
1: on the future and, and shifted away uh, the debate and the discussion about the past. She fits into that mold as well does she
4: not absolutely she does yeah I mean she you know her, her dad's her mentor Governor Mike Huckabee mm-hmm. and she she's here to get things done you know she didn't need, she doesn't need this job I mean if Sarah you know super successful but she wants to get things done in Arkansas she's got a vision for how she wants Arkansas to succeed related to the public schools related to jobs and and bringing in companies to Arkansas, just like what Governor Reeves is doing here in in Mississippi. Uh, so I I'm excited about Sarah. Yeah, I agree. So uh,
1: what do you think? the results here what is what does it mean in, in as far as donald trump and his kind of being the de facto leader of the gop is that still the case is, is he perhaps lost some of his his influence
4: and stroke uh, in the party well uh, you know that time will tell um, you know he we we'll, we'll, we'll see what uh, president trump decides to do he yep. he certainly is indicating that he, he would like to run um, but he is somebody he needs to talk about the future um... and i, and I think particularly as you get older um... it's, it's important to have a, a vision for the future and we you know where are we can take this country and so he needs and in my opinion that's something he really needs to convince republicans Is this is where i want to take the country this is how we can succeed as a country And. I think whether it's him or whoever runs in 24, they'll need to do that. And I think the candidates that did well in this race and this election were the ones uh, who were doing that, who were connecting with people and that aspirational sort of message. Yeah. You know, Rubio has always been real good at that. I Agree. And um, you know, one um, thing I have to you in the break: yeah. um, Republicans improved with every racial group. Yet we lost, but but there's there's encouragement with white voters. In 2018, we were at 54. We did 58 last night with African Americans. We went from nine to 13 with Latinos, 29 to 39. Asians, 23 to 40. Why did they? Why are they voting for us? Why are they coming our way? And I think it's policy. I think they see what's going on, and I think they they particularly related to covid things related to you know telling parents that they can't have a role in a school mm-hmm. um or that the sco- you kids can't come to school or if they do come to school they got to wear this mask mm-hmm. um and jobs being open i mean you know entrepreneurs i you know latinos are socially conservative they're entrepreneurial they have a, a tremendous work ethic they fit with the Republican Party, and it's happening. We see it in South Texas, we see it in Florida. Uh, I I mentioned earlier DeSantis won Miami-Dade County. Um, He won, I think all but like five counties in the state. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah, typically
1: you carry the panhandle on down to central Florida, and then it's usually blue in, in southern Florida, and then it's that I-4 corridor that's the he difference. are in Palm Beach County. I, I know, Palm that Beach is a pretty Democrat blue. Democrat stronghold. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so, and the mayor, I uh, uh, don't mean to interrupt you there, Henry, yeah. but the mayor of Miami is excellent. I don't know if you've ever seen him speak or, or seen him in public. I think he had a lot to do with that, and he is he's turning Miami into an, economic powerhouse yeah uh, they've got all the amenities of the weather of, of California which attracted Silicon Valley and so many other industries he's he's got that going for him down there too but absent all the other problems that you get in California he says in fact we've increased our funding for our, our law enforcement we want Miami to be a safe place
4: to live and work shocking. and so they're coming down there shocking I know. you know yeah safety doesn't matter I mean you know we want our families to be safe Sure, and that's just a fundamental thing, and so I, I don't know what the mayors of Portland and San Francisco are smoking, but um, it's that's nuts. It, it is, it is, it is. It's just it's bad for our country, yeah. and, and I, I and I will say I I thought we were going to do better. In this election, and I'm glad we've. That it looks like we're going to win the House. I hope we can win the Senate, um, but I thought we were going to do better. And I, I mentioned to you before there was there's a, a nugget from a poll that was a, a couple of weeks ago. It said 52% of Democrats think rising crime is the fault of woke politicians. That's 52% of Democrats. Democrats, yeah, and. I thought, oh, wow. And I think some of that played out in the New York governor's race. Um, Zeldin did well. He just you know, couldn't could not close the deal quite. I think he down five points. But he closed the gap significantly. Four or five months ago, it was double-digit. Yes. And, he, and what people don't think about is because he ran well at the top of the ticket, it made it stronger for these House pickups up. that we're getting, and they're going to make Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House. Point. And so, in states like Florida and New York, that was huge. And redistricting played a central part that's in right. Florida and New York, because the Democrats in New York tried to get greedy on redistricting and they overreached, and the courts took it away from them. Sure did. And then they, they got more of a, quote, fair plan, and uh, that's one of the reasons that Republicans are likely going to very likely, uh, you know, be in control of the house. Their first pass at that, they pretty much drew out all the Republican districts, of course. And the court said, no, that's that's not. Them. Yeah, they so, got greedy. I, you know, <laughs> uh, my my business partner John Lundy likes to say, pigs get fat and hogs get slow. <laughs> it's kind of kind of what happened there. So, uh, do you expect that uh, former President Trump's going to announce next Tuesday? He's te- certainly teasing that. Your thoughts about that? I'm going to try and stay focused on 22. Okay, um, and well, let's we'll figure out 24. Um, look, we're going to have plenty of Republicans who are going to run. We're going to have strong Republicans, um, and and you know why? Because whoever is the Republican nominee is going to be in a tremendously no strong position to win the White House. Whether Biden runs for re-election or whether it's Hillary or Kamala on the bench, yeah. or whoever comes Newsom. along.
1: I think it's going to be Newsom. Yeah, is what be. I'm on. yeah, yeah. Well,
4: bring him on. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I don't think most people want the country to be run like California. I, I agree. That'll hurt him. And the other thing we should keep in mind
1: is it does set up pretty well for the Republicans. Certainly the Senate does. I think we keep the House in 24. So you'll have a the president, which also has
4: a legislative advantage as well, and we can get some stuff done. Huge. Huge. There's no question. I mean, if, if we focus on things and focus on getting good things done for the American people at the Republican Party, and, and let's not mm-hmm. worry about all the politics. You get good policy, it'll take care of the politics. If we do that, yes, we'll have a tremendous opportunity to have the White House, the Senate, and the House and get the country on the back on the right track. About 65% of people think in America think the country's on the wrong track. Yeah, I think and you're that, exactly right. And that's part right. of the reason I was disappointed that we didn't do better. We got to stop with the messaging, Henry.
1: and We're about to go here that we vote for us because we ain't we ain't them. And that, that's pretty much what we're getting a lot. It's not speak. enough. That's yeah, not people enough. need to know what you're for. I totally agree. I totally agree, Henry. Excellent analysis as always, my friend. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're gonna stay tuned and watch. This these races, and let's see if we can pull one out and get the Senate as well. Appreciate it, Henry. Thank you, man. Thanks, Troy. Middays is down at the Westin for Innovate Mississippi's 23rd Annual Conference on Technology and Innovation. We're stepping aside, coming right back.
0: Today. Hey, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbet on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: back, everyone, to midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Weston Downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Annual Conference on Technology and Innovation. The 23rd annual. Appreciate Henry coming on and breaking down all the politics from yesterday, all the elections. Lots of text rolling in here on the ceasefire text line. From the 205, Florida government, governor, pardon me, for president. Time for Trump to step down. Pat Dale from the Delta says, I think last night was a statement that DeSantis will lead us in the presidential election and win it. Bad night for Trump. Trump can attack DeSantis, but I don't think it will matter. I believe Republicans will be motivated enough to get a Democrat out of office. They'll side with DeSantis. He and Kemp could be a good ticket. Interesting. I hadn't thought about Kemp in there. Ricky in Aberdeen says, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the low unemployment rate. Sadly, a lot of those workers don't realize the effects of high inflation. It, it does seem like that, does it not, Ricky, that people seem to be more willing to uh, to make a change and more interested in making a change. If they're unemployed, than they, they do just simply from... Uh, A situation where the cost of living has risen they they feel like they can they can bear it and I think there's also I think there's to some degree this this popular prevailing sentiment that okay well how is changing leadership changing party control how is that gonna address this inflationary issue And, and honestly other than Kevin McCarthy didn't really get a lot specifically on how they would approach these uh, these problems, how they would address them, how they would cure them. You know, here on the program, we, we offered some very simple uh, suggestions. Put this legislation on the table, send it to the President to veto. That would reverse all of his goofy executive orders that shut down the oil and gas industry effectively in this country. Let's start with that. Every candidate for House and Senate should have been touting that idea, in in my view, because they just didn't. They just said, hey, we're not them. We're not them. They caused all this. We're not them. Okay, well, what are you going to do to fix it? And we just got very little of, of that, it seems. On the ceasefire text line, if Trump runs again, he'll have to adhere to the 11th commandment. They shall not speak ill of any fellow Republican. He had a chance to be a great president, but his mouth and arrogance ruins it. You know, it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of baggage there for sure. You, you, you've seen this constant refrain. Well, I sure would could stand some mean tweets right now if the price of gas was about ninety or whatever. And I, and I get it. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of am in the middle on that. I, I don't think it's appropriate for a person in that position to, to just constantly hurl these ad hominem and personal attacks at others, whether they're in your party or not. And I, I, just, I just don't think that's proper decorum for an effective leader. Uh, I get it. I, if, if the choice is Joe Biden and that, and good, along with good <clears throat> economic policy and foreign policy, and just good government in general, okay, I can I can deal with the the liability of the of the decorum. But gosh, would it be nice to to get someone who shares those same? Philosophical visions and, and same strategy and approach to governance, but also uh, it, it is not uh, rife with all of the, uh, all, all the negative personality traits. Uh, can we find somebody that, that fits both bills? It, it, certainly, there's somebody in this country that can do that. Politico just called Wisconsin for Johnson. Great. Appreciate that. That's on the ceasefire tax line. I, I saw that as well on the break. So that means we're down to three states. The way I calculated: Rhino, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Is that the way you see it at this point? Because Wisconsin was the only one. A- Alaska hasn't been called yet, but in ranked choice voting, it's down to two Republican candidates. So that's going to go in the Republican uh, Republican column. Libertarians cost the right control in both 2020 and 2022. Even if we accept the cheating in 2020, the wasted vote still would have carried both elections for the Republicans. I mean, you certainly don't want to say, I'm not in favor of telling libertarian candidates or any independent candidates or non-Republican or Democrat candidates hey, don't run. I mean, exercise your constitutional right to run for office. The the, uh, Republican candidate should be able to effectively persuade Sufficient number of voters to get them elected. It's just simple as that. It, it shouldn't be. So 80,000 in Georgia. So here's the question, though, to this point, Chase, from Columbus. What do you think happens with the 80,000 votes plus votes that were cast for the Libertarian candidate in Georgia? Can we expect those to flip to the Republican? You know what I bet? They stay home and don't vote. They stay home and don't vote. Hmm. What do you think? Any thoughts on that, Rhino? yeah I think it's become too much of
5: a popularity contest, and there are some on both sides that feel the need to apply purity tests when there really is no way
1: forward yeah uh, i so so <laughs> your reaction is okay i 'm just not going to do anything i can't change anything it's not going to go my way i'm not happy i uh, you know i don't know i i don't i don't see how there's any value or benefit created from that. In fact, quite the opposite. I, I think we all lose in that situation. So I hope that's that's not the case. <laughs> um Leon from Ripley said, why did every host on political media start using top of mind after the goofy press secretary said it, come on people. Hmm Okay, Leon from Ripley also said, I've been a listener for over 20 years and just recently started texting. My question is, do you have any fear of something fishy going on with the election, especially a couple of states after Biden's statement about it taking up three days for a decision? I I don't. Uh, And I'll tell you why. just thinking about it logically. I think the outcome across the country truly does reflect the overall sentiment of the voters. If there was... A, a race or two in a state or two that were particularly fishy I, I could uh... maybe get on board with there being some sort of problems i'm aware of the, of the issues in maricopa county yesterday and that uh... that that's certainly something to be concerned about again both of those races key races governor and uh... senate have yet to be called but let's, let's look at georgia So. If there are problems with voting in Georgia, which is likely to be the state, the the Senate race that decides control of the Senate, then how did Brian Kemp prevail so much? And if you look in Pennsylvania, the governor there uh, absolutely waxed the Democrat candidate, the Republican candidate, yet the uh, the Senate race is within a point. So it's, it's it's hard to conclude from. Um, those juxtapositions if there was anything irregular occurring. Paula Meridian says, I I really believe that our country is getting dumber, seems low IQ people are having the most children. It's the only way I can reason why people in Pennsylvania voted for Fetterman. It truly is a head-scratcher. I agree. That guy, it's just a head-scratcher. I also wonder, Rhino, if to some extent Barack Obama and even Joe Biden coming into Pennsylvania at the 11th hour played a role. Uh, I wonder about that, I I really do. I also wonder about Oz and Kind of being a celebrity doctor, I think you'd have a better chance if you were a doctor coming out of a hospital in a surgical clinic or something to that effect than you are, just for some extent, being a celebrity doctor on TV. I think they were able to really cast him as um, just kind of a wannabe to some extent. And also, they very effectively... Uh, Disclosed that his permanent residence though so he's got multiple houses. He spends more time in New Jersey. I think I think that was an issue as well and you know the other comment you remember the comment he made Rhino a couple of weeks ago about I think abortion should be between a woman her doctor and a local politician that that had to be one of the most dumb statements ever made by a candidate uh, for office honestly in a state where that issue is important If Mr. Trump would not have come out and spoke, the GOP would have had the red wave. It's time for him to just stop. The swing voters do not want to hear his points anymore. DeSantis for president. That's Dale and in Independence. Appreciate the message, Dale. Part of the deal, the, he knew what was happening. That's why he put his announcement off at the last rally and the reason he labeled DeSantis. He wanted to ease the support and Trump supporters like me over to DeSantis. He will still have a voice, but I think he will relinquish his power to DeSantis. I supported him and still do, but DeSantis is the only path for conservatives to the White House. Trump should demand DeSantis runs unopposed on the Republican ticket and get behind him. Don't think that's gonna happen, but I but I hear you, Jerry. I, I I would say that Rhino this seems to be a rather resounding theme on our text line and I heard the same in Paul's show this morning that people are kinda getting over Trump and they're shifting to DeSantis and feel like that's the be- best path going forward. We'll step aside for a break right here. We've got uh, Anna Barker, VP of Business Development at Glow. That's a startup based in Starkville. Coming on next. Stay with us.
0: It's so awesome. Midday's with Gerard Gibbett. Okay. Mm. Come on, let's get on with the show. Yes. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: back everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're at the Westin in downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's 23rd annual Accelerate Conference on Technology and Innovation. Joining us now, Anna Barker, VP of Business Development for GLOW. That's a startup based in Starkville, Mississippi. Anna, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, so uh, tell us about uh, the organization Glow exactly. I've been familiar with uh, your products, your technology, quite novel and uh, unique for sure. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Yeah, so um, basically the technology behind Glow, uh, it was created while we were students, my co-founder and I, and uh, we were, you know, we thought we had everything lined up after graduation. He's an electrical engineer by trade, going straight to Tesla. I had a job lined up as well, and um, we got involved with entrepreneurship. Center and we found an application for the technology in the children's market specifically at the start for children with autism or sensory processing disorder and honestly it was the Entrepreneurship Center at Mississippi State and Eric Hill and Jeffrey Rupp who set us down and they said hey what, what if you guys gave this a go and and really tried to make something out of it um, after graduation and so uh, that's what we did and we're still based in Starkville and um, it's, it's been a really wonderful journey.
1: All right, tell our tell our audience exactly what it is you produce. What is glow?
6: Yeah. So um, Glow is pretty much the whole company revolves around Glow Pals, which is a, uh, a children's line of light-up sensory products. And so um, we have these characters, they all have their own personalities and, and little traits and quirks. You can download activities and free resources on our website for each character. Um, and we, we basically we launched that first initial product, grew that, and now are in a real season of product development and just continuing to grow our um, the Glow Pals brand in the kind of niche of our early childhood development where gotcha.
1: we started. Uh, so what about your relationship with Innovate Mississippi? How, how did that go? What exactly did they help you with?
6: Has really been a part of our story from the very get-go. Um, we were, we obviously got involved with Innovate Mississippi uh, while we were still students. Uh, we were introduced to them um, by Mississippi State's Entrepreneurship Center, and I mean, they've helped us with everything from networking and connections to actual funding opportunities. They were, they were very early to give us, uh, to kind of back us and give us some funding, and um, we've been, we've been huge proponents and, and huge advocates of Innovate Mississippi ever since because they've always been huge advocates for us yeah. before we before they really should have been you know when we were just getting started they've been a they've been a huge advocate for entrepreneurship in the state and we are so grateful for them
1: and the company's still based in mississippi right
6: yeah it's still based in mississippi so we have about 30 employees and we um at the start we were really concentrating on just hiring in mississippi in our start office we now yeah. have some remote employees across the country we have them as far as atlanta to out in la and but the majority of it in our, our office is headquartered in Starkville, Mississippi. We've shipped to 45 countries wow. um, and have retailers in all 50 states. And that is all tested, designed, packaged, and shipped out of Starkville, Mississippi. Okay.
1: <laughs> so you're you're producing there as well?
6: We don't actually do the production there, okay. but we do all the design and okay. stuff. And then the product comes in raw form. We do all of our testing and safety certifications there. And then we package, assemble, and we ship it out from there. So, like, we ship to, you know, big key retailers like Coles. Barnes and Noble's, Nordstrom—that is all like completely palletized, assembled, and shipped out right in Starkville, Mississippi, on, on Main Street. So,
1: so, uh, so uh, how long you been in business doing this?
6: So we—I graduated in 2017, um, and it's when we first uh, kind of started to pivot into the children's market. And we launched the Glow Pals at the start of 2018. Okay. Um, and so it, we've been really pretty much concentrated in the kids market ever since then.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, and you said you had customers abroad as well, not just in the U.S., but yeah. uh, you ship all yeah. over. Yeah,
6: we've shipped to over 40 countries, as I mentioned, and um, it, it that has come with its own unique challenges and, uh, you know, figuring out how to deal with the customs and duties and the different languages. Yeah. And, and uh, it's it's such a cool challenge, and it's such a cool thing to get to do right at the very start of your career as That's well. That's awesome.
1: Um, is, there, um, is there anything in the state of Mississippi or being based in the state of Mississippi that, that you you view as an impediment or a benefit
6: so uh, start doing a startup in Mississippi. It, you you can't deny that it comes with its own um, geographical challenges. Sure. It just does. Mm-hmm. But the benefits far outweigh it. Uh, one thing that we always talk about is when you think about a startup, you think about this very shark tank, very competitive, um, sort of like you know everyone's out for themselves. Yeah, <laughs> and that is the exact opposite. We we got to right out of the gate from graduating college. We got to build a company in an environment where everyone wanted us to win. The Hmm. entire community was cheering Hmm. us on. I was just telling someone that our first Christmas, we were completely overwhelmed. We got this huge influx of orders. We had never seen anything like it. Uh, The dean for the College of Business actually sent Jeffrey and Eric and other workers from the Entrepreneurship Center to our office. They sat on our floor to package product. Our landlord sent his wife and daughter there. So we have this whole community in Starkville all sitting on the floor of our office packaging products. That's awesome.
1: Well, congratulations on all your success and for being part of this event, and we look for bigger and better things in your future.
6: Thank you so much, and thank you for having me.
1: Appreciate it. Anna Barker, a VP of Business Development for Glow. That's a startup based in Starkville, Mississippi. We're stepping aside for a break right here. It's time for Super Talk News, Fox News. We'll come back with a lot more talk. Stay with us. Okay. Back everyone, hour three of Middays Live from the Weston in downtown Jackson. We're here for Innovate Mississippi's annual Accelerate Mississippi Conference focusing on technology and innovation and the luncheon get started. Had to step away for a minute and welcome everyone uh, to the conference. And it is packed in there. It's a great day. Great day, Rhino. So Uh, On the C Spire text line, Sam from Mount Hermon continuing the discussion, which I guess we sort of got into before we went to break at the top of the hour, about Donald Trump and his future in the party and whether or not he should run and if he... Would you consider him after last night to be the de facto leader of the Republican Party? Sam says, Gerard Trump had his time in the White House. Let him go and enjoy his retirement playing golf and his family. Now is the time for a younger DeSantis to go in, to go on and do the country what he did for Florida. Trump was relevant when he needed him but now we don't thanks and and i I hear you sam I, i would just say this you know trump's age doesn't bother me because he still seems to be very physically fit and in fact he doesn't look like he's aged hardly at all to me and he seems to be of sound uh mental capacity as well something we can't say about the current president that doesn't bother me as much as it does again i think we would benefit as a nation from someone who holds trumps beliefs about government and philosophy about the role of government in policy positions but also has. Uh, let's just say a less toxic and controversial personality. Um, I, I think we'd benefit from that. I, I do think that that has, to a great extent, divided the country. And, and then we get a guy who's uh, what's his name, Rhino Walter, the the puppet uh, that's always got the scowl on the face. He's oh, just yeah. always seems mad and you know pumping his fist. And so we just we kind of went from one toxic personality to another. Now I will say this about Trump, with respect to the nation and the benefit uh, or I should say the, the goodness of America, no doubt his heart's in the right place on that. I give him that. He he loved this nation. He always put it first. Uh, I consider him a patriot in that respect. But, man, just just the slightest bit of disagreement with him and, and the, um, the revolving door he had with key staff, including cabinet members, most of whom didn't speak very highly of him. And then when they were dismissed, you know, he kind of trash them out in the public square. I, I just don't think that's appropriate. It, nor do I. Uh, uh, with, nor do I, with respect to private company. You know, I I've had situations like that where something didn't work out and you just let it go. You just don't talk about it. That's that's the inside baseball, so to speak. And and Trump just couldn't he couldn't hold back. He was constantly berating those who the, who um if they'd leave, you know, on their own accord. He'd he'd berate them and basically suggested he he terminated them and they would say no that's not the case I just couldn't work for the guy anymore so anyhow um, that that I think means that we ought to to go forward with somebody different I I like uh, DeSantis for sure And I think he would be a high-quality candidate for president. And I will tell you that go take a look at this mayor of Miami. Uh, I think his name, if I'm not mistaken, Rino Suarez. Uh, but he is—he is awesome. Yeah, Francis Suarez. Uh, he is an up-and-coming rising star, and 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 maybe it's it's DeSantis for a couple of terms, and and Mayor Suarez on his heels. I, I suspect he's got aspirations for higher political office. He he just has—I think—the right idea about uh, how to build a, a vibrant, safe community. That being Miami, a place you wouldn't think would would be the case but contrast it to the wokeness and the uh, the the Law, the law and uh, that has been lost <laughs> in New York, in Chicago, in San Francisco, and other uh, the lawlessness that has set in those major communities. Miami's not like that, and, I, and I've seen this guy Suarez talk, and he says, "Yeah, we didn't defund police; we increased funding for police. We got, we've got the biggest police force we've ever had. We don't tolerate crime. We don't tolerate homeless tents and drug abuse all over the streets. We don't." In uh, heck in these other cities they welcome it this goofy Fetterman you've probably seen that uh, folks he wants to be he wants to create these injection sites right where all the heroin he wants the government to pay for that where all the heroin addicts get together and freely inject themselves with drugs I mean he wants to do that uh, at the federal level and, and yet he, he looks like he's, uh, he's he's going to prevail he's been called to win that race so. On the ceasefire text line, it's not his age, it's his personality, and I agree, I just want to make that point, and I'm not being argumentative uh, with you there, Sam, about that, I, I just wanted to kind of add that caveat that I'm not as concerned about, I, I'm not concerned about a person's age until... It begins to show, physically or mentally, which I do think we have with this particular president. I don't see that with 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 Trump, uh, and and if he again weren't quite as caustic in his personality, I, I, well, I'd certainly be okay uh, with him running again. But it, it's just it's the way he is. You're not you're not going to change it. But I believe he's going to announce next Tuesday, and I, I I sense that if he doesn't if he doesn't get the kind of reaction that he's looking for from the public and from maybe others that he feels like ought to uh... pledge their support certainly high-profile political leaders i I think he's going to trash them. he's going to trash the public he's going to trash these these other political figures that aren't getting on board with the trump campaign Trump is not good for the party anymore. It's time for DeSantis to lead the party. I would like to see a DeSantis-Gabbard ticket. Tulsi Gabbard, of course. You know, I, I would invite you, uh, that's on the ceasefire tax line, to dig a little deeper into Gabbard and her philosophy about uh, health care, about uh, economics. She's a socialist, folks. You just need to know that she's a Bernie Sanders socialist now uh, when it comes to her calling out the Democrat Party on their wokeness and and their disregard and, and seemingly disdain for law enforcement and their failed and flawed foreign policy I agree with her for the most part she's excellent she's for Medicare for all she is uh, she, she's for higher taxes she's for she supported the Green New Deal um, she, she supports the Build Back Better her plan not as a member of congress because she wasn't in congress but she's on record as talking about those and go go watch some of her debates if you get bored you want to go pull those up on youtube and watch how she answered lots of the questions when she was a candidate for president about that i'm just saying that i'm good with the desantis i don't think gabbard I, I i can't get on board with that one i, I just don't agree with her 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 policy positions on economic matters, and I don't think she'd be in our best interest in that respect. You don't think the current administration doesn't trash Trump every day, all day? It's way more than Trump tweets, says on the ceasefire tax line. Yeah, I do, but they trash him about his caustic personality. It, it's different. I mean, they don't they don't hurl all these ad hominem insults and pejoratives and labels. It's, you know, you don't get any, any of the de So By the way, I don't think that's good either. I don't think that's good either. I, I don't support that. And I, and I think their obsession with Trump in January 6th is over the top, long in the tooth. Not important to most Americans, and and I'd I'd like to see us move past that and forward. Uh, so, Trump is a New Yorker; he can't help trashing people. Loved his policy, but probably won't like him as a person. You know, that's it. That is a, a common. Analysis and, and I get it because New Yorkers generally are very boisterous, uh, outgoing, no-holds-barred people. But having spent a bunch of time in the investment community in New York, they're not like that. In fact, they almost to a person can't stand Donald Trump. Can't stand it. I'm talking about conservative capitalists. In investment financial types that vote Republican can't stand Donald Trump and and thought he was a joke honestly, but there's no question that it's just a it's a different culture, you know than than we are accustomed to here in the South and and I think Trump was unable to to temper that. Jerry in Waynesboro says she's Hindu and worship cows. Talking about I didn't know that about Tulsi Gabbard. Tim and McGee. DeSantis and Ben Carson to me would be a good ticket. Interesting. If Trump announces Tuesday he'll sink Walker in Georgia. That's an interesting analysis and that you could be right on that. That's on the seven three one, the ceasefire text line. That's that's interesting. But I'm glad we're having this conversation. Rhino, I think it needed to have, we need to have this conversation. I'm glad to see people want to talk about it. We need to be thinking about what's in the best interest of the country and the state and not just a person and a candidate. We're going to step aside for a break right here. Once again, we're at the Westin in downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's annual Accelerate Conference. We're coming right back. Joseph Madden at 1250, the CEO of Ferson Technologies. Midday Super Top Mississippi live at the West End downtown Jackson. It's a really nice place, folks, if you hadn't been here, by the way. I know Jackson, it certainly gets a bad rap, et cetera, and because of all of its issues, and I understand that. But I, I've been to several events here. Not sure if you have, Rhino. It's, it's a very nice hotel. Uh, down here right across from the sheriff's department of Hines County and it's to the east of the museum, Taimara Hall, etc. Uh, it's a nice place and it's it's uh, the food here's really good too. Food's good, service is good, great venue for this event, Innovate Mississippi, Accelerate 23rd year. Um, actually kind of helped get all that going a long time ago, trying to grow the technology industry in the state of Mississippi, and Innovate does a really good job, and the board of directors, it's such an honor to be part of it. Some really, really well accomplished thought leaders, business people, technologists that do a fantastic job, and, and uh, that come from both the public and the private sector, by the way. And they, they guide this organization, provide, traditional board governance and they they're just excellent fun to work with so you know besides the elections of members of the house senate governors etc abortion was on the ballot in a few states can kentucky a constitutional amendment that would state there is no right to abortion or any requirement to fund abortion in the state constitution and that failed that failed so in other words I I think I'm reading this right Rhino An, an amendment would state there is no no right to abortion so it would be an amendment in the Constitution saying there's not a right rather than one that's affirmative in the affirmative there is a right correct yeah that's the way I interpreted it so that failed so there's no amending the Constitution in Kentucky to, to assert that there is no right to an abortion. And then in Vermont, a proposal as well, Vermont Proposal Number 5, would create constitutional right to personal reproductive autonomy is the way it is styled. And that prevailed prevailed by 77%. So the Vermont Constitution will have an amendment in it granting protecting the right to reproductive autonomy. Why do they always sort of stress it up with that kind of flowery language like that?
5: Because if they actually told the truth, people that are proponents of it would be horrified.
1: Ah, so we just have have to veil it, right, and and uh, disguise it. <laughs> That's what's happening. Michigan Proposal Three: Constitutional Right to Reproductive Freedom. That also prevailed. Fifty-six percent voted in favor of that. So the Michigan Constitution will be amended to include a constitutional right to reproductive freedom. Interesting. Montana born-alive in infants regulation is it just me or is it insane that we even have to have this discussion in a legal context in this country this measure would enact a law making any infant quote born alive at any gestational age a legal person a protection that already exists under a federal law passed 20 years ago and it would criminalize health care providers who do not make every effort to save the life of an infant quote, born during an attempted abortion. And that got a no. That did not prevail. That was not ratified. Doctors apparently say they are concerned that the law would limit palliative care for infants who were born but will not survive. Interesting. Man, it's getting complicated. California Proposition 1, constitutional right to reproductive freedom. <laughs> freedom, you know where that went. California, 65% voted in favor of that. So there you go, abortion on the ballot. Marijuana, we talked about that, and drug policy on the ballot. Maryland, question 4, legalized cannabis. That won 65%. Missouri legalized marijuana. That won 53%. North Dakota legalized cannabis. That lost. South Dakota also lost. And in Arkansas, neighboring Arkansas, legalization of recreational marijuana failed at the ballot. Interesting. Against 56% to 43% and it is the I believe there was one state that also expanded Medicare excuse me Medicaid Medicaid I believe that was South Dakota if I'm not mistaken so that means that there are 11 states remaining in the nation that have not expanded Medicaid most of those are uh, concentrated in the South Mississippi being one of those, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Texas, come to mind. Tennessee, I believe, and there's a couple others. But all that happened yesterday. There was also there was also one amendment related to voting access, and that was in a ballot measure, I should say. That was in Ohio, requiring citizenship to vote. Wow. That We even have to put that on the ballot to ratify. Seems crazy to me. Local governments would be prohibited from allowing non-citizens to vote in local elections. And that passed by a fairly wide margin, 77% to 23 So just catching you up a little bit on uh, some of the other matters that voters decided on. So I guess with... With Wisconsin called for Republican incumbent Ron Johnson, who by the way the Democrats went after hard because he's he and Senator Rick Scott of Florida are the two that have really been talking a lot lately about needing to address the economic status of Social Security and Medicare. And, of course, Joe Biden went around the country saying the Republicans want to end Social Security and Medicare, which is completely not true. Of course, he has a hard time telling the truth. Let's just be honest about it. And it was rather rather shocking to me that that was an effective message. And while Ron Johnson prevailed, it was barely. I I haven't seen the latest numbers, uh, Rhino, but I want to say that it was one percent or so of the vote separating uh... ron john yeah fifty point five percent to forty nine point five percent twenty seven thousand votes and this mandela barnes guy that uh... that opposed him on the Democrat side he's a card carrying socialist i mean he he's a defund the police let's uh, confiscate all the wealth of the rich people and shove it out the other door to everybody else and uh, I'd be big supporter of the Green New Deal and he's a climate change nut and, and wants to empty the prisons and all that sort of stuff. I mean he's kind of another Fetterman and Ron Johnson barely beating 1% 27,000 votes and I just wonder now he was a well known figure. He had a lot of name ID. He served as the Uh, Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin, but it makes you scratch your head. The state of Michigan, it is my understanding, the legislature went all Democrat, and now Michigan with Governor Big Gretchen Whitmer uh, winning there against her Republican challenger, the governor's race, uh, the trifecta now exists in the state of Michigan. So that's that's a bit of concern, as well. Anyhow, just getting you a little caught up. Killing unborn babies doesn't sound good, says CC in Senatobia, replying to these uh, this rather tricked-up language that is used to describe these label these this legislation that is uh, protecting in the Constitution the right to essentially abortion on demand. Pat Oxford, check out Carrie Lake. She just tweeted that she is about to win big. I know it was trending in her direction. Right now, you seen an update on that one. Um, Once they started getting into the precincts that were likely to be more supportive of her, this morning it did appear that things were trending her way. See what i can uh, look up for you on that we're taking a break right here when we come back should have some more information and we're going to continue talking another segment and then joseph madden ceo of furson technologies a precision optics company based in ocean spring joined us to round out the day coming right back Back everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Westin, downtown Jackson. We're at Innovate Mississippi's 23rd annual Accelerate Conference, focusing on technology and innovation in the Magnolia State. So, did a little looking into the race in uh, Arizona. For the governor in what I see right now is the latest I can find latest update 66 percent of the votes in Democrat Katie Hobbs in the lead 50.33 versus uh, Republican Kerry Lakes 49.67 percent of the votes looks like less than 12,000 votes separate the two total of 1.7 nearly 1.8 million votes have been tabulated to this point. You see anything more current than that? I, I did check the tweet out that someone on our ceasefire text line notified us about. It, she in fact did say that. Wow, we're going to win big. Stay tuned Arizona. And and that was that uh, came up uh, about 50 minutes ago. So it And what's the difference be, on
5: that one again in votes?
1: Less than 7,000. Let me check it again. Uh, yeah, that maybe, might be no, why she
5: pardon. said that because it, it's dropped from almost less an 80,000 vote difference to less than 12.
1: Right, less than twelve, and I think uh, my guess is they're looking at the the precincts, you know, that have been counted and the ones that are outstanding and and that they're familiar, obviously, with how those typically go, and they're and they're uh, accounting for that. That's what you got to think. And she she actually said that this morning, or, or she may not have, but someone from her campaign did when she was trailing by such a significant amount. I think somebody this morning actually said, yeah, but we hadn't really got to the. Um, we hadn't really got to the, the, the counties, the precincts that typically vote red. And I, I'm looking at a map of Arizona, and folks, as you know, if you look at the maps, uh, the county maps of the United States, as you, as you uh, move further out to the west, the counties are much larger the the we just didn't break the land up and I don't know honestly Rhino all the history on that of how that worked out I'm, I'm that long before um, I, either of us were around and I haven't really studied the history on that but I just know if you like I want to say like in Georgia there's over a hundred counties and as you get towards the East Coast you got really smaller concentrated counties and as you go to the West you got much larger geographic land uh, wise counties I know in California, I lived for a while in Kern County, which is the San Joaquin Valley where Bakersfield and Fresno is, and folks out there uh, told me when I was traveling, said, yeah, Kern County's like 20% the size of Mississippi, just one county. But back to Arizona, I'm looking at it. There are not too many counties, and it's kind of amazing. Uh, You look at Phoenix and the counties around it, it's light blue. And if you look at Tucson to the south, it's a darker blue, and then to the north on the on the uh eastern boundary a darker blue, and then in the in the center a darker blue. Uh and then the rest of the counties along the western edge are deep red to pink. And in the southeast corner, deep red to pink. So I think they know. Uh, uh, these these poll watchers and these campaign folks, obviously, they know how those counties usually vote, and I think they're figuring into their that into their math. And my guess is, what Carrie Lake is talking about is, yeah, we're getting to the counties that we're going to really rack up in, and that's what's going to put us over the top. So that'd be good news. Now, that's a situation where, even though she, I believe, had Trump support, she's just a high quality candidate against, I think. A very deeply flawed candidate. Katie Hobbs is just terrible. She she really is, and I think ultimately Carrie Lake wins. Now the question is, why isn't Blake Masters getting the same sort of love as they would say in the great state of Arizona on the Senate side, running against um, the incumbent there? Why isn't he he getting the same level? I'm not I'm not sure. But he's clearly not. It's it's kind of interesting to watch how how these things are shaping up, where it doesn't seem to be as much about party, at, certainly at the Senate and in the in the uh, level of governor statewide, more about the person and the personality. So Mark Kelly, with 68% of the votes in, presently leads Blake Masters by uh, five points, five points has a 90,000-vote edge out of a total 1.8 million tabulated thus far. That's out in Arizona. So, you know, if I were a betting man, I'd say that stays Democrat with Mark Kelly. I'd say Laxalt wins in Nevada, and that's two of the three remaining races. So that that puts us at, at 49-49. Um, going into... I believe that's right. Going into the situation now, there's one more. It's Alaska. Yeah. So that 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 puts us at at 50 with uh, 50-49 in favor of the Republicans with Georgia outstanding. So if the Republicans win uh, Georgia, then it's 51-49. If they lose Georgia, it's back to 50-50 with Kamala having the power to cast the deciding vote. Wow. Check out the size of Aroostook County in Maine. It's bigger than most of the small states up there. That's interesting. I, I haven't done that. Mark from Gulfport writes. And, I, you know, just looking at the Carolinas, Georgia, it typically is where I've kind of focused. Maryland, they seem to be a lot more chopped up with really smaller uh, uh, counties. Missing ballots from 21 precincts in Hines County. Hines County? Says Georgia and Oxford. I haven't heard that. You know anything about that?
5: There was reporting oh, okay. on it last night yeah hmm
1: not sure that I'm not sure what the deal is there or whether or not that makes a difference certainly in it could in some municipal or judge races which were on the ballot school board et cetera but I don't think it would in the races for u s Congress US yeah that's house. why you're
5: seeing the percentage reporting from the different uh, house districts you've got Mississippi House District one with ninety five percent of the precincts reported. You got House District three with ninety four percent of the precincts reported, and then House District Four with ninety nine percent of the precincts reported, while House District two only has seventy seven percent reported.
1: Okay. Makes sense. There you go. So from on the ceasefire text line, Thomas and Greenwood sent us a rather a screenshot of a rather interesting a tweet. And it's from Maggie Haberman. Is she a member of the House, Thomas? Member of the House of Representatives? No, that's the New York Times reporter that
5: catches grief for being close to Trump. Oh.
1: New York Times. Right, right, right. I see it now. Uh I see her handle there. Thank you, Rhino. Trump is indeed furious this morning, says Maggie, particularly about Mehmet Oz and is blaming everyone who advised him to back Oz, including his wife, describing it as not her best decision, according to people close to him. You know, it'd be nice to be able to vet that the veracity of that, Rhino, I'm not sure what to think about that. She goes on to say there are there are people pushing Trump to reschedule his announcement next week. And several R's have texted asking whether he will, but it's risky and would be a- acknowledging he's wounded by yesterday. Something that some of his advisors insist is not the case. She's just pulling a Trump and getting ready to cry foul. You're talking about... Uh, Carrie Lake there, Thomas? Possibly. Hate to be a Debbie Downer, but runoff absolutely doesn't favor Walker in Georgia without the governor race to drag him up. I'm afraid it'll be a wash for Warnock, Chase from Columbus. Texts. It could be right. Uh, You absolutely could be right. If the Senate ties 50-50, Manchin will continue to be the most powerful person in D.C. on the ceasefire tax line from the 228. Excellent analysis. I guess we have to rely on him to hold the line. You know, we may have a better chance of getting him to push back on Joe Biden. We haven't talked about it right now, but you've probably seen. He got all over Biden for a speech he made a few days ago where he said, we're going to shut down all the coal plants. We're ending coal. No more coal. And that didn't sit well with Manchin. He went public in his admonishment of the president about that. Of course, he coming from West Virginia, a state that relies heavily on coal for uh, jobs and and its economy. And he came out against them. You know, i got to tell you, though, folks, dude, Joe, you hitched your star to the devil. You got on board with that stupid Inflation Reduction Act. It's you. You could have stood in the way of it, but you got on board with it. Then you didn't get the permits that you thought you were going to get for oil pipelines as a result of supporting that legislation. You got duped. You got rolled. And now the president, the guy who convinced you to get out of the way and let this stupid inflation reduction act become law, now he's rolling you, going to shut down the coal industry something in your state and I hope you pay the price at the ballot box last time. I'm serious about that. You laid in bed with a devil, and that's what happens. You got burned. Time for a break here on middays. We once again are at the Weston in downtown Jackson for Accelerate the Accelerate Conference coming right back with Joseph Madden, CEO of First and Technologies. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live at the Weston in downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Mississippi conference, 23rd annual Accelerate conference. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, one question, didn't Senator Wicker vote for the same bill that we were just talking about that uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin did? No. What Senator Wicker voted for was the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, $1.2 trillion last November, and he voted for the CHIPS Act uh, just a couple of months ago. He did not support, no Republicans did the Inflation Reduction Act, which is where I think a deal was made with the devil by Senator uh, Joe Manchin. Also, uh, another quick announcement, the Secretary of State of the great state of Georgia has just... Announced that that race will head to a runoff. Just wanted to pass that along. So joining us now, Joseph Madden, CEO of Furson Technologies. Joseph, thanks for coming on Middays. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's great well, to be here. It's been a great conference. Tell us about the the company. What do you guys do?
7: Uh, Furson Technologies uh, was started in 1942. Uh, we are based on the Gulf Coast in Ocean Springs. Um, we have a 70-year legacy as a defense optics manufacturer. Um, we are We are very happy to uh, be a Mississippi company. Um, What's uh, defense optics? What does that mean? So, essentially, one of the things that we work on and that we do is essentially for the tow missile. And um, we send that, um, we code it, we make sure that the tow lamp and the tow sensor is coded. Um, We're the only company that can do it. And um, that is essentially what has been going over to Ukraine so that's something uh... we we don't take it lightly what we do we make sure that we build
1: quality defense products for our armed forces interesting so what do you think about this conference and do you have some business that you're uh, taking <laughs> care of up here yeah.
7: <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh... conferences are are fantastic because uh... you can obviously expand your network Um yep. it's i think it's really a testament to mississippi and, and really what what Mississippi, the future of Mississippi is. Um, And that doesn't matter if it's North Mississippi or South Mississippi or the coast. Mississippi is a state that is growing very fast and it has an amazing amount of potential. Um, And specifically with energy. Hmm. Um, Manufacturing is, it's hard. It's also expensive in the sense of electricity. And Mississippi, um, I think, or the next decade uh... is going to essentially boom for manufacturing especially really? as we're seeing yes absolutely we're, uh, what you're seeing now happening in europe um, because of the war in ukraine and energy prices this is going to make a state like mississippi even more attractive hmm. it, what are the reasons for that what factors play into that <laughs> Well. <laughs> At the end of the day, what it comes down to is, is uh, energy. Uh, if you look at Germany, for example, um, they got most of their natural gas, um, and their industrial sector got most of their, their cheap natural gas from Russia. That's been cut off. Um, so this isn't any more – it's not going to be a policy anymore or a political statement. Reindustrialization is happening, and you're seeing reshoring back to the United States because of market forces, essentially mm mm-hmm. uh, you have um, Joseph Donovan uh, with the Mississippi Development Authority. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he just brought in an aluminum smelter here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are good-paying jobs, and that's that's what Mississippi is going to benefit from. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I haven't thought about that that angle, but that that, that is good to hear. Uh, are you aware of any other projects looking at coming our way that you can <laughs> share? We're, we're we're talking to, to some folks. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to give away. What about the capital markets? Uh, th- their view. Of Mississippi and their interest in uh, investing in Mississippi companies. Sure, uh, we're we're at the end of cheap capital.
7: Yeah. Uh, quantitative easing is is there worth. Yep. The Fed is raising interest rates, um, and this is this is making a a very tough capital market. I think investors, whether they're fund investors or they're institutional banks, I think they're starting to look at where are we going to. Where are we going to put our money, and what benefit are we going to get from it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the <laughs> the days of the software unicorns are over with. Right, um, and I think now we're going to start getting into. I think you're going to start seeing investors um, look at the southeast, specifically Mississippi, because Mississippi's demographics you have a very young population down here, um, labor-wise. So that that's where I see Mississippi going, and I, that's where I see a lot of investors where they're starting to focus on, and also making sure that the jobs that they're bringing to Mississippi are actually good-paying jobs that a family can um, basically afford groceries, even in an inflationary environment like this,
1: yeah, yeah. and you got to believe that uh, the capital markets are a lot more sensitive and they're oh, underwriting yeah. to uh, oh, yes. things, to ideas and projects that can that are. Uh, when, when they've pr- got that kind of cost of capital right. entering into it. Mississippi's yep. future is bold. That's awesome. Joseph, thanks for coming on. Congratulations on you your success much. and uh, good luck in the future. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We are out of here today, ladies and gentlemen. We thank you so much for joining us. We've had a blast down here at the Westin in downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Mississippi annual conference tomorrow. Middays is going to be at two museums. It's Veterans Day coming up on Friday and we're going to be at Camp Shelby on Friday, as a matter of fact. So tune in then. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. The red, white,
0: and blue. Oh, oh, oh. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.